If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We, if you happen to be a guest or happen to be new to Central, we, uh, we have been involved in a series we're calling, um, as, as Jared told you earlier, Breaking Down Walls. And uh, we talked about last week breaking down relational walls. And we talked about that. And, man, that's not always easy. And you may remember when I told you in Luke that in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus all of a sudden shifts gears because he, the scripture says one thing. He set his face resu- uh, uh, resolutely or he set his face towards Jerusalem. In other words, that we, where he was going, he was going to eventually be crucified. And uh, that's what was going to take place there. So everything that happens... At Luke 10 and following is incredibly important, and we come to Luke chapter 15, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, how many of you, I'm going to do a show of hands, um, how many of you at some time as a small child attempted to run away from home? Let me see. Oh, good, not. How many of you are still running? Uh, okay. Uh, some are. Uh, maybe you attempted to run away from home. Maybe it was for a day, just went to a friend's house and thought, I can get away with this. Maybe it was an hour. Maybe you just got uh, out the front door and decided, what am I thinking? Uh, maybe you are, let's be honest, one of those that is still running today. Many of them are doing that. It, it's been estimated that 4.5 million adolescents are on the streets today homeless. Either they've chosen or for some reason they have run away from home. And uh, so often it is that grass is always greener. You know, maybe as a kid, mom and dad got onto you, they squelched you and squeezed you a little bit, and you said, well, I can heck with this, I can go. And so you decided to go where the grass was greener, only to find that it wasn't greener. When I, th- when I think about running away from home, I'm reminded of the story of the little boy who his mom had told him he couldn't do something, so he decided, I'm going to run away from home. So he takes his little bag and he puts what in there what he thinks he needs. He grabs his teddy bear, grabs his uh, wagon, and here he goes. And, and a neighbor is across the street watching him. And he goes out and he goes to the end of the block. He turns right. And he goes to the end of the block, he turns right, he comes to the end of the block, he turns right, turns right again, and he's back home. And the neighbor says, uh, says uh, hey, son, you know, what are you, what are you doing? He said, I'm running away from home. Well, he said, if you're not going get to get anywhere if you just keep walking around the block. He says, you don't understand, I'm not allowed to cross the street. <laughs> and I think many times, let's be honest. Uh, your parents putting up some boundaries somewhere, and you thought, I can't cross that, may have saved you somewhere along the line. But the grass is always greener. But here's the deal about running away from home. It doesn't always show up physically, but you're, wa- you're running away from the Heavenly Father. Now, I know you're in this room and you're thinking, well, Mark, we're the good guys. We're at church today and we're watching online. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. You can be in this room and still live a life. Your relationship is set because you gave your life to Christ. 
but yet your fellowship is broken from the Lord. And so I ask myself the question, and I ask you today rhetorically, is this. Why are believers content to live distant from the Father? There, there, there seems to be this barrier, this wall between us and the Father, and we're content with it. And so I kind of did a brainstorm. I'm thinking, God, why is it? I know many people, and, and there, oftentimes this has been true in my own life, is that, God, I, I just kind of walk away from you. And there's that hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But it's not a wandering as much as it is a decision that we decide to do this. So I started thinking, why is it that believers, those who are so-called followers of Jesus, why are they content to live distant from the Father? And so I got a list of things that I came up with. Number one is this, the pleasure of sin blinds us. Uh, the scriptures even say that sin is pleasurable for a season. And if we can get away with it, then we have a tendency to keep doing it. it. We did it as kids. If I can get away with this once, I can get away with it again. I can get away with it again. And the next thing you know, we have a broken relationship with our, our parents. And uh, these kind of things happen. But it happens with the father. We have the pleasure of sin. Secondly, I think this. Hearts become calloused. We, we do things. We say things. We hurt people, and pretty soon we put a callus over our heart between us and the Father. Thirdly, we're ignorant to what it really means to be close to the Father. We talk about it. The Scriptures talk about it. We had an experience sometime with the Father. But as far as us having an intimate walk with our Heavenly Father, we're ignorant. We don't know what it is, so we're content to live as we are. Here's another one. We're content to be like everyone else. Uh, you know, if, if, a, if a person doesn't know the Lord, they're here. We want to live our life right a step ahead. You know, even if they're in the garbage dump, we're just a step ahead. We're content to live like the crowd instead of being uh, looking at the holiness of God. So we're content to be like everyone else. Here's another one. Uh, and this is many people. You feel like you don't deserve it. You feel like you literally don't deserve a Heavenly Father to be close to you. Um, you you will take heaven, but yet your closeness with the Father. And, and sometimes we live like this. Really? If God only knew what I'd done. Or if God only knew what I thought. God only knew what my motives are. Good night. We know he knows, but we're content um, uh, to live like we are because we feel like we don't deserve it. There are a couple more. Uh, many people walk distantly from the Lord because of hurt feelings or unmet expectations. They were hurt by another Christian or they were hurt by a church or God did not come through, right? He did not come through at the time, so there's unmet expectations that are there. And so we walk distantly from the Lord. Two more. Uh, we don't want it because we will have to change. We don't want to walk close to God because if I walk close to him, I want heaven. I don't want to go to hell someday. So I will take this, but I don't really want to take him as Lord of my life. And so we know, we think God is a restrictive killjoy, right? And so he's going to put, he's going to put his thumb on me and squash me. So, I don't want to do that or I'll have to change. 
And the last one is this, which is actually all of them. It's pride. Pride. Uh, it takes humility to admit you're messed up. One of the most freeing things for me, I think, is when I could finally admit fully, undisclosed, I'm screwed up. I know that. I live in this earth suit. I, I, you think I'm a good guy, but I, I know what goes on inside of me. And that takes a lot of pride to, to not say, well, I'm a good guy. I'm good as anybody else. You know, God, you almost deserve me because I'm so good. And that pride just is terrible. So Jesus knew that this was going to be a struggle. And in John, excuse me, Luke chapter 15, he tells three stories, three parables they're called, three stories. The, the first one is about a sheep that gets lost and wanders off. And the sheep wanders off and gets lost and the shepherd does whatever he could to go and find, uh, the sheep. The second one is a coin. The lady has ten coins, loses one, she sweeps her house clean, she's looking for that coin, she finds the coin. Thirdly, is the story of a lost son. Uh, we sometimes call it the prodigal son or the forgiving father, but it's a, a lost son. He tells these three stories. But these stories have become routinish to us because this is we've heard them so much. This particular crowd that was around Jesus, let me tell you who this crowd was. Luke 15 verse 1 tells us they were uh, tax gatherers and sinners... And they were Pharisees and scribes. Now, what does that mean? Let me first of all tell you this. It was a motley crew to have together. The tax gatherers, what they literally were, is imagine Rome. Rome was massive. It, the land mass was massive uh, in, in what they did. And so how do you control people that you've they've come under your uh, jurisdiction, so to speak, under your rulership, how do you keep them in line? Well, you tax them. Let's tax them to keep them in line. So how do you get tax gatherers? Well, let's get their own neighbors to do this. So the people hate the Romans. They don't want to be a part of Rome. But yet now they got to pay taxes. And your next door neighbor is the guy that has to collect those taxes. Well, he's just a lovely guy, isn't he? Nobody likes him. He has more money than you because he's working for the... I mean, this is who this is. The other one is just called sinners. Now, sinners would be anybody that couldn't keep the law, uh, were unclean all the time and, and what they were doing. But they, their life was just not ungodly. And then you've got the scribes and the Pharisees who were the religious good guys. So all of these people are there listening to Jesus. And Jesus is going to tell these three stories... And the best way I can describe it is this is the most scandalous, outrageous grace stories you will ever hear out of Jesus. And I can just imagine that crowd, especially the tax gatherers and sinners who are on the edge of society anyway, all of a sudden they're saying, you mean we're welcomed? And the scribes and the Pharisees are going to say, you mean they're welcomed? It's scandalous grace that God is pouring out here. So, in Luke chapter 15, we're going to begin with verse 11, and allow me to read it and then come and break it apart a little bit for us today, because some of you, I would venture to say many of you, have allowed walls 
Your relationship with God is set because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. But yet your fellowship is rocky because this wall exists. Now, let's read Luke fifteen eleven, And he said, Jesus told this story, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing, the, the, the word longing there actually is the same term for lust. He wanted it so bad. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, in other words, he came to his senses is what it actually means. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran And embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. I'm I'm going to end there. But part of their celebration was eating T-bones and dancing. Man, it was a celebration because the son had come home. The, The man who had two sons represents God the Father. All authority belongs to him. He owns everything. He is in charge. He is loving. He is gracious. This is who he is. And the son, younger son, there's two sons. The younger son comes to him and he says, you give me my portion of the inheritance. He's actually going to get less than the older brother. But literally, this is what he is saying. Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my stuff. Man, that's pretty angry. And so the he wanted his father dead he wanted him to he wanted to get away from this thing he squandered all of his inheritance recklessly and when he ran out of money he ran out he had come to the end of himself some of you have been there before and he sunk to new depths of low especially for the jews hearing this story when jesus mentions pigs you're saying time out they're as unclean as you could be he's hit the bottom but you know something i've talked to people before and i'm thinking how low do you gotta go to turn it can be pretty low 
I, the way I look at this guy is he was, first of all, he was financially bankrupt. He spent all he had. He was morally bankrupt. In fact, his brother, in a few more verses, are going to say he was with prostitutes and, and these kind of things. Um, he was morally bankrupt. He was relationally bank, bankrupt. I mean, nobody, you know, when you have the money and you're, you're spending it, hey, come hang out with me. Yeah. But when it's gone, they were gone. He was re- relationally bankrupt. And he was spiritually bankrupt. I mean, a good Jewish boy is not going to be feeding pigs. I mean, he's, he's bankrupt. He's gone. And uh, he, he has hit the bottom, so to speak. And some of you, I've heard your stories. But it took you to get to a distant land to hit the bottom. And he finally got there. So the plan is, how do I get back to the Father? And that's where I want to talk to you just for a few moments. Uh, there, there, there are going to be six quick words, and all of them begin with, excuse me, five quick words, and they all begin with R, so it's easy to take notes. First of all, for him to get back to the Father, there needed to be a time of reflection. He took time, it tells us in verse 17, he came to his senses. Hey, parents, let me call time out and, and take a take a step for you just a second. Um, it says, literally, he came to his senses. He came to his right mind. If he came to his senses, somewhere along his life, sense had to be put in there. So if you have a kid, or you've been able to raise a kid... Put some sense in there so he has something to fall back on. Okay? Now, you know, I, I, well, this isn't on parenting. But I, uh, something frustrates me on parenting is when we give kids no guardrails. We give them no, no sense to fall back on. Well, they'll make the decision on their own. No, they won't. They'll make the wrong decision. And so give them sense to fall back on. But he went to a time of reflection. He started seeing how far he had moved away from the Father. Um, a spiritual inventory had to take place. He's looking at how far he's drifted from God. How far he has actually chosen to walk away from God. And he is sick and tired of his current situation. See, that's, that's difficult to come to where you're thinking, okay, I'm a little uncomfortable, but am I sick and tired of this place? And pain, the way I look at it, the pain of staying where he was was greater than the pain of change of going back to the Father. And we have to come to that point of returning. But how low can you go? How low can you go? Your life is falling apart. Well, it'll get better tomorrow. It'll get better tomorrow. No, not to the son. He knew the place to get back to was father. But he, first of all, had to reflect on how low he had gone. Second of all is this. The second R word is resolve. He had to make a resolve. Notice in verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. I'm going to get up. I'm making a plan. I'm making a decision. I made the decision to walk away. I will make the decision to come back. I'm going to come back. I'm going to make a resolve to come back to my father. And brokenness had come into his life. We don't like brokenness, but I'm telling you, brokenness in your life is actually a lifesaver. It's that true humility. I cannot do this without the Father. And so uh, he makes a decision. He made a decision to write a speech out. Now, some of you, 
uh, probably blew it as a teenager with your parents at some point, and you worked out in your mind how you're going to apologize, or you did it as a kid, and you, you did something like this, Mom, Dad, I made a mistake. I know you said that we are not supposed to play in the house doing this, whatever, and that hole in the wall is a good sign that uh, that has happened, and you were right, and I am genuinely sorry. For that, yeah, you you work out some kind of speech that you're going to give, and and some of you, uh, it's a lot worse than that. I know you said don't drink, but I know you said the curfew was 12, but I really had to do this. Blah blah. blah. You make up these stories, and, and and that's what he did. But he was very genuine. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, would you hire me like one of your hired servants? I mean, he had that story worked out. He was resolved to get back to the Father. So there was a reflection. There was a resolve. Thirdly, there was a return. He had to get up from where he was. His brokenness, his pain, and his heart led to action. However, get this, for him to return to the Father, it meant he needed to leave his current living environment, his current situation. He had to leave to get with the Father. And many, there are many today that will continue to live in unhealthy environments, unwise decisions, and knowing the Father loves them and cares for them, they will still choose to live over here. And I'm thinking, why is that? Why, why would you choose to continue to put yourself back in physical harm, emotional harm, spiritual harm, when you've got a heavenly father over here that is saying, come home, why, why would you do that? And, and here's something that struck me. It was the place of familiarity for them. I have talked to a lot of women and men, but especially a lot of women, and they've been in an abusive situation, and they go back to an abusive situation, and they go back to an abusive situation. And, and I, st- I start asking why. That's what they're familiar with. And, and so they go back there. I, I've, seen, uh, I've seen teenagers do it. I've seen uh, others do it. Th- that's just what they're familiar with. So they will go back there because the familiarity, even though it's painful, they will go there. Instead of, we need to become familiar with the Father. And so we automatically go there. And so the return came. And he, he, he was... He was coming back to his father, the return. So he reflected, he resolved, he returned. Fourthly, restoration took place. Isn't this good? It's good to know the restoration took place. And and I thought about the father a little bit. He was actively waiting. There's different kinds of waiting. There's active waiting that you are not just sitting there reading a magazine. I mean, you are actively waiting. Waiting. You were looking. And, and I thought about something a little bit. We see the first story, which is the lost sheep. And the shepherd went looking for the lost sheep. The, lo- the sheep did not choose to be lost. He wandered into lostness. And so the shepherd had to go find him. The lost coin was lost. Uh, the woman lost it somehow. The coin didn't say, hey, I'm going to go get lost. It, it got lost. And so she went looking for it. The son chose to be lost. 
And so the father allowed him to do that and didn't run him down. But yet he was looking every day down the road for him to return. The son had a choice to leave, and he chose to leave, but he chose to return. So if you're a follower of Jesus, and, and yet, yet that fellowship has been deterred, guess who moved? And, and he is waiting for you to turn around. But I love this, is that when the father saw the son... This is, this is remarkable. We sang that song a moment ago, I'm running to your arms. Where did that come from? Well, right here. The first thing that happened was the father saw him. Man, can you imagine he's just sitting there at the, at the door every day just looking for his son to come back. And he sees, he sees a figure in the distance and his heart starts to quicken. Maybe that is him today. And sure enough, as he gets closer... He saw him. He recognized him. Isn't that good? He recognized him. He recognizes you. He knows you. And he saw him. And then the next thing he did is his heart leapt inside of him as he felt compassion for his son. And he felt this incredible compassion for his son. And then number three, he ran to him. Now, this is what goes on in my brain. And I've been to Israel. I've seen uh, elderly Jewish men, running is not in their um, repertoire. And he has this robe on, and he may tuck it between his legs and whatever, and he's running after his son. So he recognizes him, and he has heartfelt compassion, true compassion. And it led to action as he's running after his son. And the next thing he did is he embraced him. Ah! You talk about melting. You talk about melting, especially a, a young man when his dad bear hugs him. I'm sure the son just buried his head in his dad's shoulder. There probably was weeping. But the last thing the dad did, he says he kissed him. Now, in our culture, uh, kissing, especially with our mask on, it's difficult. But uh, But he... He showed his acceptance by kissing him. Man, we need those times. We need to know that there's a father who's not just, we show up and it's like, stay right there. What were you thinking? Look what you did. You hurt me. You hurt my name. You hurt my family. Blah, blah, blah. And he he didn't do that. He did not do that. This is scandalous grace. This is outrageous grace for the Father to do that. The last R is this, rejoicing. There was rejoicing that took place. The Father said, hey, go get the best robe. This was the festive robe that belonged to the Father. It didn't belong to the Son. It was the father's best robe. Go get the best robe and put it on him. And get a ring for his finger. Well, what did the ring symbolize? It it symbolized authority. He is my son. He has my ring. It's authority. And he says, get him shoes. And we're thinking, well, that's a big deal there. No, you see, 
Slaves and hired servants did not wear shoes. Sons wore shoes. You're not going to be a slave. You're not going to be a hired servant. You're going to be my son. And then the last thing that he did is what he didn't do. Because in the next verse, we're going to hear that there was an older brother who heard the music. He heard the dancing. They were celebrating. And the father did not say, listen, we're eating T-bones, bro. But you're eating bologna over there because you deserve it. And he didn't say, we're going to dance, but you're going to be in time out. He didn't do that. He fully accepted his son. Scandalous! Outrageous! Unearthly! So unlike us! But that is the father. Three quick statements, and these are, these are quick. Number one is this. Every sweeping move of God starts with individuals getting right with God. Every sweeping move of God that's ever happened on this planet begins with individuals sick and tired of being sick and tired and dealing with things and getting right with the Father. In other words, it begins with you and you and I. We pray for revival for our nation. Oh, if we elect the right president or, or we do this. No, 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 no. It begins with you and me. Father, we want to be close to you. The second statement I make to you is this. This wall or this burial of spiritual complacency is making the church ineffective in our day. I mean, more people see the world, uh, the church is condemning instead of embracing and kissing. And uh, this wall of spiritual complacency, people say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but yet their their life is just one step ahead of the world. And and where's holiness? Where's righteousness? Is this really? You're no different than me. And the third statement is this. The father is looking down the road and is ready to run to the returning. Listen, just because you're in this room does not make you close to the father. Being in a garage does not make you a car. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. And you can sit among this group of people. You can sing the songs. You can hear the message. You can even say amen, raise your hand, whatever you want to do. But yet your, st- your heart may still be distant from the Father. And he is looking for you to turn. August 13th, 1961. A divide, a, a fence that turned into a wall was erected in Berlin, Germany. It would become known as the Berlin Wall, and it separated East and West Berlin. And there was total difference. I mean, on West Berlin, it was very westernized, and obviously the freedom existed on East east side. It was uh, under socialism, under communism, it was oppressive. And uh, many of you will remember that President Reagan's speech about Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. And 
that wall represented, it represented more than just that. And many people gave their life, uh, under 200, but just trying to escape. But there was about 5,000 plus that escaped. But on November the 9th, 1989, the word got out that now the wall was going to come down. And many people had to risk, is this really true? And they came to the checkpoints. But on that night, at midnight, it was the walls were coming down. And many of you have seen pictures of the Berlin Wall coming down. Some of you may have uh, samples of the concrete that were there. But the people went who went from East Berlin to West Berlin weren't sure how they were going to be greeted, weren't sure if they could even come back. But yet I saw pictures of when they went from East Berlin on that night over to West Berlin. The people of West Berlin were not saying, oh, you're unclean. You need to go back on the other side of the wall. It shows pictures of them just clapping. They're just clapping as these people are finding freedom and coming home. I believe that we need to realize that God is not ready to put his finger on us. He is welcoming us home. I end with this. Ernest Hemingway wrote a short story many years ago. And the story was about a papa in Spain who had a son by the name of Paco. And Paco was a teenager, and he and Papa had a friction. And Paco left home. He ran away from home. Papa tried to find Paco, but to no avail. And so Papa had decided this. He was going to take an ad out in the Madrid paper. And all he said in the paper was this, in an advertisement. Paco, meet at Hotel Montana on noon Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. Well, that Tuesday rolled around. And they had to call in servants from the city to take care of the crowd because over 800 young men named Paco showed up. And this story just shows that how many of us need to know our Heavenly Father is saying, you're forgiven, come home. Some of you online need to hear that today, come home. Some of you in this room need to hear that today. The Father is saying, come home. Reflect, do a spiritual inventory, resolve, I'm coming home. Return. Find the restoration and the rejoicing that the Father gives. Are you hurting and broken within? Oh, 